and again first you adjust your posture so you sit with a certain dignity and friendliness but also softening rigidity and then you slide into presence you slide into being here allowing this moment to be what it is. And it is as if you go to the beach, to your favorite beach, and you sit down and awake, relaxed. You give space, you're open to your surroundings, so in the same way you slide into a panoramic choiceless awareness like the sky. And within that, if it feels good and it makes sense to you, you can stabilize yourself maybe with a sensation in your hands or with the movement of the belly or with a sound Tune in into the peace we share. Tune in into the stillness which is surrounding and underlying and pervading this moment. Something which arises, it's like a field which arises when we sit quietly together, protected by the presence of the Buddha. You can let go now. You are safe. And there's nothing you need to understand or nothing you need to do. gentle space within which this voice travels. Heart like the sky.
then when you find yourself carried away, identified with stories, that's not a problem at all. It is also radiance of innermost awareness. So you can relax. sensations, pleasant and unpleasant, and yet there's vastness. And there's your feelings and your mood, and yet there's vastness. And there's the sound, and thoughts, and yet there's vastness, boundaryless and centerless. Like the depth of a shoreless ocean. Look into peace. Returning, returning, resting, opening. It's a bit like bathing. It's not something you do. Let yourself be meditated. 
by the presence we share. Then, if you notice that you start to fix or control or that you try to get something or push something away, see if with the out breath you can let go of that grip. It's like opening your hands, you know, trying to interfere and mingle, just opening your hands, the hands of your awareness. So whatever is in the foreground of your experience now, sound, sensation, feeling, thought, is an experience within consciousness. So the bell, the sound of the bell is an experience within consciousness. The sensations of your breath is an experience within consciousness. This voice is an experience within consciousness. And when you look at the experience which is in the foreground just now, which is an experience within consciousness, what it is made of, what is the stuff from which it is made of? Uh, look, look, look at it. What is it made of? Is there actually something substantial, solid, real? If you just look at the experience, which is in the foreground just now for you. And maybe when you look at it and you try to touch it, you realize, wow, it's really insubstantial. 
It's more like a rainbow, more like a dream. So check that out. So whatever it is, it can be quite unpleasant. Maybe you have some pain somewhere, or maybe you feel quite peaceful, or you are tired, or you are whatever. Just look at it. It is an experience within consciousness, that's for sure, like a dream. And what is it made of? What is it? And what, what is it if you drop the name of it? What, what is it without memory? So when you do that, you probably sense that it is really insubstantial, that there's not really something touchable there, more like a rainbow. It is there, obviously. The discomfort, the comfort, the sound, the thought, obviously it is there, but it is like a rainbow. In other words, it is empty. So whatever comes, so it doesn't matter, so you can just allow things to come and go. And you look, you look at it directly. You, you look directly into the face of the experience. Of course, also the sense of I, the sense of me, is an appearance within consciousness, completely empty, without any substance, like a rainbow. Like the sense that you are the body, it's an appearance within consciousness, like a rainbow without any substance, empty. So now we shift our attention a bit from that which, is, which arises, which is movement of consciousness empty, appearances within your mind which are empty. So we shift our attention a bit to that within which this appearance arises. Can you get a sense of that? A bit like shifting our focus from the surface of the ocean, from the wave into the depth, or shifting our attention from the clouds to the sky. 
So the experience we have just now arises within what? Including the sense of I. Look. So the next thought you're going to have, where will it come from? Look there. What is the thought arising, appearing, and dissolving? Within what? Look there. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? And then, of course, you get distracted or lost or you fall into thinking. That's fine. But within what is this experience arising? Look there. Where are you looking from? What do you see when you look into where you're looking from? look into that and you look into that are we looking into the same can we meet
od the question I have asked now and there's many other questions, flavors of the same questions which are sometimes it's sometimes called self-inquiry. The challenge with this question is that you're not supposed to answer. And uh, if this kind of questions trigger conceptual thoughts, like the debate about the brain and consciousness, for example, or something like that, then that debate is useful, of course, but not just now. Yeah? Not, just, not in the self-inquiry. So it is, it is like, it is a bit like So it is a question which is uh, inviting you to look and not to find the answer. To kind of, it is inviting you into a moment of speechlessness, of awe. It's like, it's an invitation for the, for the conceptual mind to shut up. Yeah? So shut up the conceptual mind. Stop thinking. Yeah, just, yeah, and then there's a gap, there's a gap, and from that gap then the next thought arises. And it's, can, it, it's maybe just like, <laughs> really like that amount of time, and that's, a tiny, tiny little act activation of your Buddha nature, of the SIM card. This. <gasps> yeah. And then the next question comes. And then <gasps> but maybe also, maybe you find out, no, this kind of self-inquiry actually does not work for me. It's, I'm too... I'm too much a person who needs to know things. I start to debate with the teacher. Uh, it's it's just not working for me. So then then you then you then you say okay. So f what works for me is to bathe in in the presence of the Dalai Lama. That works for me. So that's that's so important that you you that you find your own door into this transmission and it's it's really different for all of us it's not this you know, this path of activating your your buddha nature your, the sim card you know to get the code uh, to get the code to activate your sim card it's uh, that is something which is unique for you. Would be nice if there would be like a piece of paper with, and it could be handed to you and you could just do the same, you could just use the same activation code like the Dalai Lama. That would be fantastic. He just would write it down and here you have your activation, but it's not like that. The path of your awakening does not exist yet. You have to. Do, you are m making it by walking. Of course, there's people who have activated their SIM card, and they can inspire us, and they can they, they can give us hints, and they can uh, invite us, and they can support us, and uh, yeah. But the code is personal. So for some, this kind of question uh, are is, are part of the code, and for some, not. So you, and that's something you, you you test. How do you know? How do you know that 
what you, what you're using, whatever it is, <coughs> an image, a mantra, just sitting in nature. How do you know that your um, your SIM card is being activated? It feels so good. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet. It's so full. It's so peace. It's so big. It's so... It's, you know. And it, it's not, no, it's not this kind of happiness we have when we fell in love and when we have a good job and when we are healthy. That's definitely not it. You know when you when your when your SIM card is activated, you know that this is deeper. This will be also available to me when I have cancer or AIDS. If my life is complete, if I lose everything, in that is not touched. Everything else is uh, dependent happiness hedonistic happiness, which is wonderful. Uh, and if you have things like that, soak it in. It can be also being, it can be used for, as part of the activating of your SIM card. But it is not it. So in the activation of the SIM card, this moment is also this recognition and you, of course, you have your own words. Maybe you just say, oh, I feel I lost myself and I'm one with everything. So what, 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 what the sense is like, somehow, I don't understand it, but somehow everything is fine as it is. Somehow, nothing actually ever happened. Not really. So the, the activation of our SIM card is so close in our times. Because it's like, you know, the different invitations, the different pointers, which can be part of our code, is available to us. <coughs> like in Copenhagen, there's you know, all the traditions, all the spiritual traditions are available to us, and people who have, who have started to activate their SIM card, they are available. It's very close. And of course it's the only hope. The only hope is that more people, more and more people, activate their SIM card. Uh, otherwise there's no hope for world peace or um, I want to <coughs> go back and then I leave some time for questions. Questions which I can't answer. That's, uh, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. So I'm not under pressure. Um, so back to this image of the eyes and the, uh, the eyes and the water. My intention with kind of making this point again is to give us uh, like the possibility to make peace with feelings. Yeah? To deeply make peace with feelings. Also, uh, ceasing to seize feelings as a problem. as if feelings are uh, 
separating us from love. Instead, leaning into an approach to feelings which see feelings as the juice of our awakening. This is a this is a radical view, I know, because that's not what 90% of Buddhist teachings say. 90% of Buddhist teachings say you need to dissolve your anger. You need to dissolve your attachment. Yeah? And this makes sense. I'm not putting it down. It makes sense. And as I said, as part of our journey, more tools and more knowledge we have about how to uh, heal unnecessary inattention, better it is, because more we will be able to uh, rest in these moments of when our SIM card is activated and we can do, we can make this short call. So <laughs> our, our SIM card is activated for 10 seconds. And, and you need to make the call. Yeah. <laughs> so m more you have worked with your trauma, with your pleasure, with your whatever, more healing has happened, more longer the line will be open. Yeah. More question you can ask God. More goodness will come from you. So now, a bit of backing up of this uh, point um, that the water of life is to be found in the eyes, not somewhere else. So this is a book from Mind Beyond Death uh, by Tsokchen Pondok Rinpoche. A few years, he comes sometimes to Copenhagen. A few years ago, he gave a weekend on this book here in Copenhagen. So, even in the, uh, in the Dzogchen teachings, like, obviously, the tradition Dzogchen Rinpoche comes from, is, uh, he is coming from the Nyingma tradition, is, is, uh, he is holding these lineages of Dzogchen, but even in those lineages, no, one needs to look for the radical gems where actually the transmission happens. So it's not like you, you open a book for Offshuki Nima Rinpoche and you get the, the transmission teachings. No, you get a lot of... Now I just... I need to find a more moderate word. You get a lot of clutter. A lot of this and that, and you should do this, and you know, blah blah, and and so on and so on, and so you need to kind of skim through the books, yeah, and be it like Lama Yeshe's book or other teachers who are open into that view. So, but look for those those moments where they actually give you the message. It's also because they, I mean, they don't know who's listening to the teachings. You know, they, they don't know who's reading the book, so they need to cover quite a big territory. And then the actual message sometimes get, gets quite hidden. And then you find it on page 104. <laughs> <laughs> and before all of that is Lamrim teachings. Graduate path instructions. They don't call it Lamrim, but it's basically the same. And you are ready to get that. Yeah. You, you are ready to get that. Uh, so this is also a good pointer, just the title of the book, Mind Beyond Death. That's it. Yeah? So mind beyond death is, is, is it. The, this mind beyond death is the it. 
which I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, one way to get a to get a taste of uh, what uh, it is is uh, to do the uh, eight stages of the dilution, dissolution of the death meditation. It's quite, you know, you find that meditation in different, also here in this book and Sogya Rinpoche books and other books. So, and, and uh, maybe some of you have done it with me. So it's like uh, you imagine and you get information of first, um, like images, you know, what is going to happen in the death process. And then you go through it. So, and the death process is a dissolution of that which you are not. Pause a moment. The, 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 the death process is a dissolution of what you are not, but what you think you are. So what you think you are will be taken away from you in the death process. That's why it's so scary. And we do the same in meditation. Meditation, real meditation is like dying. So in the death process, and it's described really in detail, so what goes, you know? Ah, here it goes, my eye sense, and so on, the different levels of the conceptual mind, my memories, my memories of the relationship, my name, my role, my purpose in life, it all goes because it's all conceptual mind and it's all what you are not. But you're identified with it. So you try to hold on to it. The good thing in the death process is you can't hold on to it. You have to let go at one point. It's being forced upon you. It's no choice. So it goes more subtle and subtle and subtle, and it's described in eight stages. So then, in the end, in the end of this process, what is it what remains? In the teachings on the death process, it's called the clear light mind of death, which is just another code word for Rigpa, or innermost awareness. What remains at the time of, at the end of the death process is this, mind beyond death. And it is nothing. But what a nothing, again. Nobody ever has regretted to dare to jump into that nothing. They, they don't come back and say, hey, stop, stop, don't do that. Don't, don't go there, don't look there. No. They, they come back from that experience and they write poems and they make art and they make Buddha statues and tankas and they sing and they celebrate and they are blissed out completely. They are completely relaxed. They are free in their intelligence and, and they, they only want to give. So, that's about the title. Now, the true nature of mind that you are looking for is found simply in whatever you experience now, in this very moment. The true nature of mind that you are looking for, so the true nature of mind is another code word for it, yeah? the emptiness of mind, it's also called Buddha nature, and so on. 
your essence, maybe some people would call it the higher self or uh, the soul. Yeah. So the true nature of mind that you're looking for is found simply in whatever you experience now in this very moment. There is no true nature beyond that. Yeah? There is no true nature beyond that. So this is an, I mean, there's no true, true nature beyond the, that. So there might be a sense in you that you kind of, you need to push this away. Like that behind, you know, behind this, there is something. Behind this, there's the peace. Beyond this, beyond this, beyond this, what you experience just now. Maybe you, you are confused or you feel bored or you feel happy or... So, what Sokshin Pondok Rinpoche says is, there is no, no true nature beyond that what you experience just now. It's not that this is a facade and behind there is Nirvana or a peace. This is it. <laughs> According to this. Yeah. This is what the Guru points out. Our usual problem is when an afflicted mind arises. An afflicted mind. So an afflicted mind is a contracted mind. An afflicted mind is a mind connected with inner tension. An afflicted mind is, no, this is not it. It, needs, it has to be something else. It should feel better. This is not it. I mean, I'm not happy. This is not it. That's an afflicted mind. Our usual problem is, when an afflicted mind arises, we do not recognize its ultimate nature. We don't, we don't recognize its ultimate nature. What does it mean? We don't recognize that it is insubstantial, that it is empty, that it is an appearance and consciousness which is empty and which remains in the nature of water. That's not what we recognize. We look at the eyes and we say, no, that's not water. I'm looking for water. So we look somewhere else. We go to another workshop, to another book. So this should be your last workshop. We do not see its vividly arising energy. We do not see. We do not see its vividly arising energy. It's you no. Know, this is, of course, particularly true for a moment of passion, for a moment of anger, where, from the sutra point of view, we are completely disconnected from truth, from nirvana. Um, so. We do not see its vividly arising energy. Its vividly arising energy. As display of our own primordially pure awareness. As display of our own primordial pure awareness. Another way, another way to say it, we do not we do not see the eyes as water we don't we don't not we don't not see the wave as the ocean we have a feeling oh the ocean the ocean where's the ocean yeah there's so many waves but i'm looking for the ocean so then we look somewhere else where's the ocean where's the ocean We do not we do not see we do not see that what we are looking for, the ocean, 
is just right there in the wave. Actually, there is no other way to see the ocean from above than, than three, seeing it through the, through the waves. No, one image they use in the in the in the Dzogchen tradition is the image of the sun. So the sun is it, yeah, in our most awareness. So how can you see the sun through the light rays? And the light rays are they the sun? Are they not the sun? Difficult to say. In one way they are a bit something different, in one way they are the same, but definitely in order to see the sun, you need to see the light rays. So the same. Uh, your anger is like, like a light ray of the sun, of innermost awareness. Is it the same? Is it different? It's difficult to say, but where would you look for the sun? You're not trying to you know, stop the light rays or like not looking into the light rays or something because if you want to see the sun, that's the only way to go. So we don't see that energy as a display of our own primordial pure awareness our innate wakefulness, another code word, innate wakefulness. So the in-wake in wakefulness is the SIM card. Yeah. We think that it is a poison, a pleasure. That's what we think. That, that's also what we're being taught. We think it's a poison, it's a pleasure, it's something we need to get rid of. If it is aggression that appears, now aggression is a good example. If it is aggression that appears, we think, I should not have this aggression. I should be experiencing the nature of mind. Yeah? I should not have this aggression. I should experiencing the nature of mind. I should not have this wave. I should experience the ocean. I should not have these sun rays. I should experience the sun. Consequently, we push the aggression away and try to find the nature of mind elsewhere. We we try to push the aggression away or we, we apply an antidote yeah? and we try to find the nature of the mind elsewhere. However, there's nothing to be found elsewhere. There's nothing to be found elsewhere. There's nowhere we can find the nature of mind outside the aggression we're experiencing now. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the aggression we're experiencing now. So now you can say, you can replace aggression with everything. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the depression we're experiencing now. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the anxiety we're experiencing now. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the passion we're experiencing now. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the compassion we're experiencing now. There's nowhere we can find the nature of mind outside the joy we're experiencing now. There is nowhere we can find the nature of mind outside the confusion, the despair, the doubt. we're experiencing now. There's no way we can find the nature of mind outside the thoughts we're experiencing now. Like, you know, go away thoughts. I want to experience the nature of mind. Therefore, we look 
we have to look at that aggression as straightforwardly as possible. We have to look at that aggression as straightforwardly as possible. Yeah. So I try to get get you a taste of uh, of that in the meditation before, where I said I repeated like, okay, whatever you're experiencing now, just look at it straight. Look is maybe not the right word for you. Maybe you would say more feel it or hear it or I mean be aware of it. Be of be aware of it straightforwardly right now and look at it. And then I ask you what it is made of? What is it? Is there actually something? And this is not a question where you have to say yes or no, because it's neither nor and both of it and so on. Yeah, But it is something to do directly. We have to look at it directly just as directly as our eye consciousness looks at space. So we have to look at it directly. So it's not thinking about it. We have to look at it directly. This is difficult to explain. It's something you need to figure out. What is meant by that? What is meant by, by this sentence? To look directly at the aggression, to look directly at the passion. It's something you need to figure out by sitting and sitting and sitting. Just directly as our eye consciousness looks at space or other things. So just directly like this. I'm, I'm not thinking about this stick. I just look at it directly. Of course, we are not using the eye consciousness in this. We are not looking at the anger with our eye consciousness. In the same way, we penetrate all the disturbing emotions that arise for us. We look straight at whatever is there in any moment of consciousness. This is such a wonderful way to meditate. You see, because nothing is an obstacle. No, before you were thinking like being tired is an obstacle, having thoughts is an obstacle, being restless is an obstacle. Being confused is an obstacle. And then there's the teachings on applying the antidotes. Yeah, so, and then you apply them and never works really, but anyway. <laughs> so now this is such a relaxed way to meditate because you can't do it wrong. You're not trying to manipulate or control your experience. You just look at what is there and sometimes that what is there is quite nice and it feels good and since life is overwhelming as a human being quite often it's it's rather unpleasant so we look straight at whatever is there in any moment of consciousness without labeling or altering it without labeling or altering it. So that's the practice of non-meditation. You take away the hands of control. Like before, when you, when you do the controlling meditation, you do like, and so breath, and, you know, and then you bring it back, and, and you try to push the thoughts out, and so, and that, you know, you, you, that's the hands of your awareness. Now, what you do is, Take your hand off. Mm. 
It is, ex it is important to experience the texture of aggression, of passion, of jealousy in its natural raw state. How does it feel? How does it taste like? So in this way of to meditate, you become curious about anxiety. It's, it's not an easy journey, I must say. But just to say it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> that there is a possibility you know, that someone, a master like this, who experience, who talk from experience, who talk from a lineage, it's not that they, they, that they are the only ones who experience this. You know, they... they you know, They have learned it from their teachers who also experienced this, and so on and so on. So just knowing that I, that maybe one day I can truly, genuinely be curious about my anxiety. If aggression arises and you conceptualize it, that is, you label it and think this is aggression, then it seems very solid and real. However, if you experience it freshly, just as it is, then it naturally dissolves into space and is self-liberated. It dissolves into space and is self-liberated. So this is uh, maybe the last thing before the break. This And this is a this is the, the, this word self liberation yeah it's um it's um unique to the teachings of, of Tokshan, of the of the great perfection so in the more graduate path approaches to meditation you apply antidotes you do something For example, with anger, one antidote could be to reflect on the kindness of people. So that would be an antidote. So here, in this approach, by directly looking at the energy of anger without labeling it, you trust the practice of doing nothing. And you can trust the practice of doing nothing because the anger itself will self-liberate itself. It will vanish because it's impermanent. It's conditioned. So you don't need to apply an antidote. You don't need to do anything. It comes and it goes and it disappears. And actually... If you try to do something with it, you make it more solid and real as it is. So you keep it alive. If we would be able to do this, we would be angry for about 10 seconds. That's how long anger lasts. But because we don't do that, we don't straightforwardly, straightforwardly without labeling, we just look at it as an arising of energy, as a display of Buddha mind, we, uh, we keep it alive. We trigger it again and again by thinking, by trying to do something, by trying to suppress it, by living it out, by telling us stories. So we trigger it again and again and again. Ten seconds, ten seconds, ten seconds, ten seconds. And then... After one hour, we think, wow, this lasts a really long time. <laughs> it does not go away. And for some people, after 10 years, you know, 10 years being, being angry. But then, if you stop this, if you stop this, you, you just stop it. And it self-liberates itself. And uh, so this is, of course, you no know, more like 
know, this is like a the ideal direction we, we, we explore. It's not going to happen tonight. Yeah? So it's really something we need to explore and, and we need to sit and sit and sit. I mean sitting not necessary in a formal way. So what is wonderful in this, this well, like an extra gift in, in this approach, which is um, you know, the transformative uh, power of n open, choiceless, non-judgmental awareness, is the energy which is in that anger, yeah? there's energy in it, there's clarity in it, so if you look directly into it and it self-liberates itself, that energy uh, becomes available to your innermost awareness, to your intelligence. So it becomes more energetic, it becomes more, it, it kind of, it, it awakes more, it, can, it, it expresses itself more. And in the, in the case of anger, so... Uh, according to the it's the teachings on the five Buddha families, all, all those uh, difficult feelings, they have a certain gift in them, or a certain Buddha intelligence. And uh, so when the, this energy of anger is dissipates, that energy within it, it's, uh, it becomes available to you and inc it increases your clarity. So you are, at that moment, you might kick someone or, you know, stand up or put clearer boundaries or protect someone uh, because this intelligence makes it possible for you to see something needs to be done, something needs to be said. But it's not coming from reactivity, it's not coming from the egoic self, but it's coming from the intelligence of innermost awareness. And it can be quite forceful, like that. So that would be this guy there, Mahakala, Kalawupa, uh, they are symbolic uh, representation of that uh, wisdom energy in anger. Uh, 